Howdy, back on Everything Tray with more of my conversation with Josh Toll, a member of the Columbus Jewish community. Make sure to like and subscribe to hear the entire conversation. Um, so it's literally in the the founding text of of the dispersion that like Jews want to be back in Israel. They want it to be rebuilt. They want to be back there. They want to be gathered in. And that's true all over the world. There's no Jewish community through until like the 18th century that is not praying for that and wishing for that every single day. Is that something that is built in, um, in a, like a personal context or more of a cultural context? So this is a good question you're asking, David. So I should say something about how prayers work. Because prayers are a little different in um, the Jewish world than they are in most of the Christian world. Um, so if you grew up Catholic, you had like set prayers that you said, and then there was like a period for silent reflection at some point during the Mass. Sure. Um, Jews, it's structured very similarly. So there are set prayers that everyone says together, um, and there are certain prayers that can only be said when you're with other Jewish people that you can't say on your own. Um, and then there's time. It's kind of cool. No, it's very cool. It's like if you go, it's like I guess a, I wouldn't know about that. Oh, yeah, yeah, Because yeah. obviously no one You're can ever right. say them around me. But, but. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, like, they could say them around you. It's just like they need, like, 10 Jews because there's such an emphasis on community that there are certain prayers that we're like, we literally are speaking in, in the first person plural. Like, we want this. So it's we not that you, you that. couldn't say them around other people. No, it's yeah, just that it wouldn't not. be meaningful or carry the same weight unless you're doing it as a group. Yeah, I mean, like, it'd just be like, you know, if you went to any prayer service that wasn't, like, your prayers, you know, like, um, you have these set prayers that, like, that is the prayer you do. You have, like, a set of, like, you know, on some days it's, like, 60 pages of prayers. It's a lot of prayers. Wow. Yeah, no, it's a lot. It's 60 pages of prayers, you know, on some days. Um, and everyone has to say those words exactly. Like, they got to say all of the words. They got to do all the motions. But everyone's doing it at their own pace. Obviously, obviously, those people will be saying their prayers and you would be observing them. Um, but like the main point is not, you know, that um, Jewish people are secluded when they're saying these prayers, but just that they have a community when they say them. And there's plenty of prayers they say on their own. But like, you know, there's such an emphasis on community that there is like this thing where it's like if if there's not 10 Jewish people together, they're just some prayers we don't say. And oh. so it's just wild to see you got like one person who's in this part of the prayer service, another person is over here in the prayer service, and it's just like their own thing. But there are moments where, like I was saying, like when 10 people get together, they say these prayers together, and at those moments, suddenly, like that, everyone is doing the same thing, and they all go to the same place in the prayer book, and that is the moment. And that's in those moments are more like traditional Christian services where everyone's like, call and response at the same time, saying the same things. Um, but these are just like only moments. Oops, I just hit the microphone a little bit. Um, but those are the moments where they are coming together and they're saying the same prayers, um, you know, at the same time. So that it's would, a really, it's a really cool, really cool experience. To experience. So cool. It's so cool. And, and other Jewish prayer services, they're actually much more similar to what you experienced growing up because they were influenced by Christian traditions. So we sure. even have something called Reformed Judaism, and it's literally named after Reformed Christianity, um, which is one of the names for Protestantism. Yeah, I had actually, uh, one of my gymnastics coaches in high school was a Reformed Jew, and I yes. had no clue what it meant yes. until he started kind of explaining a little bit to me. And I was like, it sounds like you're just like yeah. one of these like Jews for Jesus kind yeah, of yeah, things. Yeah, and almost. he's like, 
basically yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> minus the jesus but yeah basically yeah. otherwise yeah yeah that's i was like wow so it's christianity but yeah. not not full-fledged in the like trinity belief yes or, yes but in terms of the practices yeah. and the rituals and it makes sense right because like also what's happening in the first centuries of the modern era is that christianity is emerging out of judaism i say you said around like second century yes. um I think like most of the historical text, at least yeah. the biblical historical text, I don't know, uh, Judaism may have yeah. some text that goes a little beyond that. Yeah. Um, I think it ends, what, around like 60 uh, BC, and so, then right. everything from there is like Gospels and stuff. Right. So you, so the biblical texts, they actually end with the first, uh, with, the, with the return from the first exile. That's where they end. They end with Ezra and Nehemiah, um, who are two of the people who come back to rebuild Jerusalem okay. after it's been destroyed the first time. Um, so yeah. And then after that, you have like, you have to, you have the start of like what's called rabbinic Judaism, where the rabbis, they sort of like emerge as like the major caretakers, the custodians, we could say, Mm -hmm. you start to get these texts that are like the beginnings of, of the, of the oral law, um, which is like, it's that, it's that set of, you know, um, restrictions and observances that I was talking about. This is where the bulk of it comes out. It's the interpretation of the written stuff. And then after that, that's when you start to have around the, the you know, the, the turn of the modern era, you know, like from zero on. Right. Of course, yeah. like it's zero because that's when Jesus is born. Um, and is it when he dies? I don't know. I think Jesus was supposed to be 33 years old when he dies. Um, so I think zero is when he's born and then he's 33 when he dies. I Either think way, like that. I know that are based on our historical yeah. accounts that we think now um, the numbers aren't even quite right anyway. Like, sure, yeah, yeah. He, you know, if we say he was born in zero, he's like actually born in six BC. Like, right, the numbers yes. aren't perfect. Not quite, yes. Um, they kind of got handed down as any oral story does. It's like, well, the numbers or the exact location is off by a little bit now, but the general idea is still there. Um, so the era is obviously, yeah, I mean, modern era, everything basically post that. Post that, you know, literally. Um, and this is, you know, these days we say BCE and CE before the common era, the common era, but we used to say BC and AD before Christ and Anno Domini, um, which was, uh, yeah, that maybe, maybe that is like Anno Domini. I'm not, I'm not sure what that means. It is, it's funny because <laughs> as a kid, everyone always told me it's after death. And yeah, then, exactly. Right. That's know. what I thought too. And then it's I learned, not. but I actually don't know what Anno Domini means either. It means um, the year of something, it's right? It's Latin for, uh, I'll look it up. It's yeah. it's like the year of beginning, yeah, I think, yeah, or something yeah, like that. Definitely. Um, but, but that's, yeah, that's when actually, I mean, and you get actually, you get Paul's letters first. Paul's letters are actually before the Gospels were written. Like okay. the Gospel, Year of the Lord. Year of the Lord. There we go. There Anno go. Domini. <laughs> um, makes perfect sense. Um you know, the Gospels were the stories that were transmitted around Jesus's, um, you know, uh, birth, um, his death, his, his, his resurrection. Um, but they weren't actually set down until the second century, as, as far as I understand. But Paul's letters are contemporaneous. Like Paul's letters, that yeah. was like that was him writing right after the moment. Um, and those letters and the I mean, Paul was born a Jew. You know, and Paul right. was one of the first to have a conversion experience without having met Jesus directly. He was one of he was the first apostle who was not an apostle. You know, and those. I like texts, the way you describe this because I pretty much the extent of the way I understand it play out is like 
we have some literal letters yes. that were in fact written by people. Literally. And in the Bible, they kept some of them and threw some others out and picked and chose what stories they wanted based on these letters. And in modern translation, it makes it seem like, oh, it's some continuous storytelling. But in reality, in the second century, whatever, yeah. in Nice, they yes. were like, they had yeah. the, the Nicene Convention. Exactly. And we're like, yeah. so what's Christianity going to be from exactly. here on out? Yes. And picked out what letters had what morals and if they want that. And, yeah. and as in learning that there's like, other, like there's other apostles that they never kept their right. tellings or their right. letters or anything. Yeah. I'm like, why? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's definitely, it's a big, it's a whole conversation. You know, like we talk about um, the pseudepigrapha is like one of the terms. It's like, we, it's like text written, text attributed to people. And we don't know who actually wrote some of them. So like, um, you know, they, they talk about this like Gospel of Thomas, which is like, you know, there it's not clear. It, it doesn't seem like the Apostle Thomas actually wrote them, um, but they might have some connection to like stories that he and his disciples told. Sure. Um, and so it's a really, no, it's a fascinating moment. Um, and like from from like the perspective of this conversation, what I think is so fascinating is that this is the moment you can read in all of these texts where Christianity is emerging from Judaism and really distinguishing itself. And the the Council of Nicaea that you were talking about, that is one of those pivotal moments where like Christians become Christians. Do you fall into the category? Um, I know it's kind of like a funny trope at this point because of like it's been used in movies and stuff. Um, but do you fall into the category that um, really the difference between Christianity and Judaism outside of modern day practice and stuff, which even now you've mentioned, like there are some things starting to meld together. Um, but aside from like cultural differences that have been tried to held up in Orthodox religion aspects, the actual belief system really just comes down to like a political argument that um, I've heard a lot of, uh, cause at this point we can pretty much prove someone maybe one person, maybe a group of people, right. whatever it is, around the time we say this Jesus person existed, right. there really is someone who was was teaching Judaism in a certain manner right. and may or may not have believed that they should have been anointed to the head of right. you know, their yeah, yeah. tribe, I guess right. would be the word at the time. They were very tribal people. The, he was the Messiah. I mean, like, that's the argument. He and Messiah, Messiah is just supposed to mean, like, not necessarily enlightened one, just, like, anointed so, one, right? Yes. Mashiach literally means, that's, like, the Hebrew term for yeah. it, because it goes back to the Hebrew Bible. Mashiach means anointed, and it refers to the way that literally, like, oils were poured yes. on the head, yes, of somebody who was considered to be, like, um, the highest. Right. Um, it's like a, it, it's... That's where I'm kind of like it was like a political argument, almost like he was supposed to be nobility within, mm, mm. And, and right, right, he, didn't right. He, well, I, I'm not gonna say yeah. he believed because we don't know, but the argument that I've heard is that this person would have believed that they were the rightful right. descendant, yes, of King David, of King David. Yes, this is the 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 claim of um, that Jesus was the King of the Jews. I mean, and that's what the Romans, they wrote above the cross, Inri, right. um, which means uh, something like Jesus uh, Nazar Nazareth, um, Reinus Judeos, something like that. Mm -hmm. You know, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Um, so this is the claim. So, yeah, I mean, I never heard it actually said like that, that it's like a political argument. Um, the truth is, is that 
one of the reasons why I think that's so interesting is because there was no kingdom, you know, because I mean, at that time there was, but it was already like so under the thumb of the Romans and literally, you know, so, you know, suffered Jesus under dies. Pontius Pilate. Exactly. Yeah, like they had exactly. a governor. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, but, you know, um, there was no kingship anymore. That's what I would say, too, is that there right. were like the Jewish leaders and they led the kingdom, you know, while, of course, being subservient to the Romans. Um, but there was no kingdom per se, and there was no kingship anymore. Yeah. Uh, and this is what I think some of the messianic, you know, dream is. The, the, the messianic dream um, is the reestablishment of, like, a, a Jewish kingdom. Um, and there are Christians and there are Jews who believe that today. Sure. And and that's actually, I mean, we're going to, we're, we're coming, you know, like, we're taking the long route. But we are coming to the conflict. I think you opened this up in a great way by saying, though, like, we have to go through all of this. If it takes an hour to get to modern age, that's what it's going to take in order for us to fully understand why Israel is doing what they are right now. And we can get to that point and we can argue about all the cost of war and everything else when we get there. But we have to first get there. And I think this is actually a great place, David, for me to say a little bit about who I am. Yeah, yeah. Um, and like why I'm talking about this. Because I, I'm going to say, first off, is that I'm not a historian. Uh, I'm not a historian of the Jews. I'm not a historian of Judaism, anything like that. I am Jewish. Um, I am from Ohio. Um, I went to a Jewish day school from when I was in sixth grade until when I was in 12th grade. And it was like an Orthodox day school. So like I was not Orthodox growing up. Um, the way I was describing to you, David, some of... Um, uh, how some Jews are observant, um, but most of my friends were. Um, and there were times in my life where I was like more observant um, than I am now, um, where I did like more things, like I kept the Sabbath and I kept fully kosher. These days I keep kosher, but not quite as strictly as I used to. Um, and, uh, you know, I did go on to study at Ohio State. I also studied for my PhD at the University of Michigan, but in none of that studies was I like a scholar of Jewish history. Um, but what I was, was I was always someone who is interested. Um, and I, and I did, I got a certificate, a graduate certificate in Judaic studies. So basically like the studies of things Jewish. Um, but we, I didn't necessarily take like a Bible class. I didn't necessarily take, you know, the history of rabbinics, took lots of classes, you know, but I always kept an, an open mind and I was always curious. I'm always reading. Um, and in my work now, I work primarily with Jewish students. And so I'm always trying to learn more. I'm always trying to know enough of the history, the customs, the culture, the prayers, in order that if a student comes to me and they have a question about their heritage, that I can answer it for them. Um, But like, I'm always learning. So like, I want to emphasize that like, I'm probably going to say things that are mistaken or slightly mistaken or like a little like, you know, garbled. um, But, you know, it comes from my own like desire to, to learn more. Um, And definitely this is why I'm like so grateful to be here talking with you, David, because I think there's a lot to learn um, and it really does impact how we approach modern events. I mean, look, we're in a learning space right now. Uh, the, The purpose of my project is to bring on people who are also interested in that intellectual enlightenment. Mm, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm learning. So I don't expect anyone to 100% be an expert on something. But I want I want you to teach me something and hopefully bring that to my listeners as well. Um, and yeah, I mean, given given the state of current events, uh, I think not just just education in like a formal sense, but learning, yeah. trying to understand more about where other people come from and, and what's the history of the situation and all those things are are very important. So 
Um, even if you your facts aren't 100 um, percent, it's it's the thought process. It's the things you're bringing. It's the conversation um, that I think is vital right now. And we, we need to have these kind of conversations and learn from each other, even if even if our facts aren't 100 um, percent. That's fine. We can figure that stuff yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. But we got to get we have to have the conversation and, and know like I need to know what to Google. Right, right, right. Yes. So <laughs> no, knowing what you need to Google is always so interesting because that's the moment where you're like, oh, now I see how much I didn't know. It's always funny to me when you tr- when you don't know enough about something and you're trying to look it up and you're like, it's not out there. Right. No one's thought of this yes. before. And all of a sudden yes. you learn this word. Right. And you Google that word and you're like, oh, there's a hundred scientific papers <laughs> or historical right, right. essays on this. And you're like, oh, it's just a matter of, um, I said that Dunning-Kruger effect, like yeah. just enough getting over the hill and realizing, okay, there is a whole field of stuff to learn about here if I just know what questions to ask. Yes, Absolutely. And, and I love, too, what you said about this being like a learning space, not necessarily like education, because learning is also going down these like little rabbit holes that we've been going down to. Like yeah. we're talking about the history of Judaism and then we're like, well, of course, we're going to do a stopover and talk about the, the origins of Christianity. Like you're telling me also about like the Dunning-Kruger effect, which I never knew before. And I love that. Like I'm going to use <laughs> I'm that all sure the time I'm pretty sure I have that now. word right. Now no, you got I, me I thinking. I bet you do. I bet you do. Um, just let me know what you see, but I, I'm pretty sure. I mean, even if I don't have, yeah, that's that's it. Go. So you can see, uh, I know yeah. not everyone can see, but no, you no, can yeah. see. I can see it. This this idea right this. here this of like, so yeah, the peak the of Mount Stupid. <laughs> I'm just saying, look up the Dunning Kruger effect. Uh, it'll change the way you approach, the way you think about everything. Quite frankly, you're gonna realize if you think you know a lot about right, something, right. you probably don't. Yes, <laughs> unless you truly yes. do. Unless you've right. spent the time and the effort to get past that peak of Mount Stupid, then you can trust your opinions. Uh, But until you've done that, until you've asked those questions, until you've had a conversation about it with someone else and tested your knowledge, uh, you probably don't really know much about it. Uh, But it seems like you really do because you, in talking to you even before today, um, not only like you said, you've, you've done your studies formally, you've looked into this on your own time you're learning every day and i mean that's that's all you can ask from someone is just keep learning about it the more you learn about it the smarter you're going to be the better opinions you can have on it yeah i hope so i hope so (laughs) i mean educated opinions are pretty important these days everyone likes to talk about who can have an opinion on what but educated ones gotta matter (laughs) definitely definitely and and speaking of those um, those little rabbit holes we were going down, we were we were just coming out of the rabbit hole about the origins of Christianity and thinking about um, this second major dispersion of Jewish people. And I was sort of sketching briefly the extent of that dispersion, um, literally all over um, the Western and parts of the Eastern world into Africa and everywhere. Um, but also talking about the unity that prevailed. One of the great miracles of Jewish history is the fact that the Jews made it Um, because there's no reason to think that most groups of people would be able to handle 2,000 years of not having any centralized structure, power, land, base um, without in some ways like fragmenting. 
Um, but it was because of these ties that were drawn between the Jewish world, wanting to sort of keep in touch with each other, keep on learning, like how they were supposed to practice their laws, um, that really was the tie, as well as the prayer book. I mean, the prayer book, the reason why I mentioned it and why we've talked about prayer so much is because it is really pivotal to understanding like the Jewish consciousness. Um, and so if we go back, though, now into those lands of dispersion, there's a lot of different things that are happening. And I will also say there is always a small group of Jews who remain in the land of Israel. Um, that is for sure. You mean like historically, there's, there's historically, always been there at least someone always there? always been at least some, yes. Um, there are certain like cities, there are certain regions um, where they concentrated. So like um, there's a uh, if, if you pay close attention to the news out of Israel, there's a place called Hebron um, that you will have heard about. Um, it's in English. It's C-H-E-B-R-O-N. Um, and today it's mostly known as a site of a lot of conflict. Um, I think some trying to spell Chevron. Chevron. <laughs> um, but Chevron is, is, well, I'm not sure. I, I think Chevron might actually be from Hebron. Um, but I could see the, the, the similarities yeah. there. Yeah, maybe. Well, the other thing is that it's from Chevron, which is a word for like a certain kind of uh, this shape. That, it's this, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I don't know if that actually comes from Hebron. Maybe, maybe not. Anyways, um, that is now a place. So it's. We're going to get into these terms, you know, later, but it's it's in the West Bank now. Um, but it is actually um, historically um, the place where um, it's with a B. That's why you're having trouble finding it. It it yes. auto auto spelled for me. Yeah, 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 exactly. Or you know what? You know what it is? It's they spell it with an H. That's why it's H E B. I'm thinking of because like in Hebrew you say H. You mean like this? Exactly. Oh, there, you go. there yes. it is. So in Hebrew, you say ch. So I'm always thinking like a ch, like a ch sound. But That's like, why some people spell Hanukkah with a exactly. c in the beginning. Yes, yep. exactly. So it's the same <laughs> principle. Yeah, H-E-B. Um, but, okay. you know, nowadays, like I said, like that's just a site of a lot of conflict because there are some Jewish people who live there, who want to live there, but it's in the West Bank. It's mostly Palestinians who live there. Um, but before all of that, that was one of the cities where Jews lived continuously from the time of the Roman expulsion onwards to the present. Um, and actually, Jews only don't live there in major quantities now because in 1929, there was a massacre against Jews. Um, people have talked about some of the parallels that um, the, the date 10-7 has. Um, you know, we, I say 10-7 to evoke 9-11 um, because that's sort of the, the impact that I think it's had on the Israeli psyche. Um, but uh, a lot of Israelis would say actually the massacre in, in Hebron in 1929 is actually um, a stronger parallel even. Um, but I'm sort of getting aside now and I want to bring it back to the narrative um, because the narrative is this dispersion. Um, mm -hmm. And like I was saying or about to say, there were a lot of different experiences in this dispersion. Um, you know, this is the the Dark Ages, um, what they say, you know, like starting from like the fall of the Roman Empire, it's sacking by the Visigoths. Um, and it's a tough time for like a lot of people, um, but in some regions yeah. more than the other. Um, so uh, the, the former Babylonian world, which is now sort of like becoming like the Arab world, um, but this is still pre-Islam. Um, 
this is a world that is actually pretty strong and it's producing a lot of like, you know, like I said, like the prayer books and like a lot of laws and, you know, con- you know, consolidating a lot of like history and Jewish lore. Um, and then people are making, you know, inroads, like I said, in like Morocco and what becomes Algeria, um, Libya. Um, but like the real turn comes when uh, the Christian empire starts to like rise um, okay. and, and Jews are sort of caught up in like this really like just this this whirlwind of energy that comes from the Christian world. You know, there, there was a lot of persecution of Jews ultimately in Christian Europe. But the truth is, is that like our world, our, our modern world comes from Christian Europe. Um, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. for better or for worse, exactly. that's just the way it is. Exactly. They, they conquered a large part yes. of the world and passed yes. on their culture. And, and, and that's we the way we live in now. Right. And when we say conquer, we're also talking about like willing conversion. Like, yes, yes like there was like definitely like cultural of, yes. uh, inquisition, not yes. necessarily right. like military inquisition. Yes. But a lot of yeah. people, a lot of people were happy to have something like Christianity. I mean, like, um, if you show me the, the the pagan world versus the Christian world, I'm gonna choose. If I'm like, you know, a neutral observer, I'm gonna choose the Christian world every time. Um, well, it's curious you say that too, because um, I'm also by no means a historian. Sure, I mean, sure, sure. I, I studied physics in college. Yeah, there like, you go. I, I'm I'm a scientific brain, but I've learned enough about history and religious history to yeah. know that Christianity. Um, you may not learn this in church. Yeah. That might be a political thing. I won't dive into that because I don't <laughs> want to offend anyone who. Sure, sure, sure. Um, so part of it is my personal opinion. But there is some fact to this that Christianity is not just one thing. Oh, my gosh. Christianity is an amalgamation of ancient Judaism, some just modern cultural things that we've picked up along the way. But it also does include Pagan practices. Some pagan practices, for sure. Yeah. I mean, again, for Christians, yeah, yeah. Jesus would not have been born in December. Right. December right, was picked yes. to be that because of the Yule time practices of the pagans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They yeah. had a time where they worship, not worshipped, but yeah. celebrated yeah. life, right. all forms of life, including putting candles on trees and stuff like that. And now you can see where yeah. our modern form of Christmas is yeah. not just a celebration of of the religious the the christian view of jesus it's an amalgamation of tons of different cultural things definitely um and that probably partly goes into why christianity took over as one of the dominant cultures of the world um i mean even you can see now in america like there's plenty of jews who pick up certain christian practices christmas yeah yeah just because it's it's not just one thing. It's so many different things. They probably picked up along the way. Oh, let's let's take in the pagans. Well, they're not going to buy into this 100%. Right. What if we change it a little bit? Yeah. What if we take in some of their practices so it's something they can easily pick up? Yeah. Um, and I, I have to imagine that's where a lot of the denominations and a lot of the beliefs came from. Yeah. So. Absolutely. It's, Absolutely. It was interesting to hear you kind of say that Definitely. because based on what I know, I'm like, yeah, yeah. that it goes hand in hand. Definitely. And, and, and I'm also like thinking about like what ultimately like in the long run like emerged too. I mean like the Enlightenment is a Christian tradition. Um, mm-hmm. You know, modernization in its best senses is like part of like the, the gift of Christianity to the world. Um, you know, freedom of the press, um, even, even toleration of religion. That was a Protestant like sticking point. You know, Protestants really were the ones who said like we've got to let people just like practice the faith they want to practice. 
Um, I mean, all of the concepts of like modern democracy yeah. come out of Christianity in France. Yes, Christianity absolutely. in Britain. Yes, yeah. Christianity in America, and not just Christianity, but Protestant Christianity, where yeah. they were rebelling against some right. form of tyranny. Yes, both governmental and religious wise. Yeah. And I and I personally don't want to leave you know Catholicism out of this. I do think Catholicism had like a lot to contribute, um, even even just culturally. I mean, yeah. some of the most beautiful art in the world is from the Catholic world. Yeah. Um, but also, and I will e- even say this too, that like also Islam contributed to some of the ideals of modern democracy. And we're going to get into when Islam rises because it does um, become one of the major parts of this conversation that we're having. Um, but like people like Ben Franklin, they were reading, um, you know, uh, Quranic verses in yeah. translation. And there is like a really strict emphasis on equality um, in Islam. Okay. Um, and so like, you know, everyone is equal before God. Um, and Islam is also like, uh, and, and this is, I'm going to say this, this is, you know, not always true in practice, but in theory, Islam has no time for racism, like absolutely none. Uh, you know, if you are a Muslim, you're a Muslim. Um, and that's just it. Like there's no distinctions between people after that. Now, on the other hand, there was like lots of slave trading in the Arab world and it continued well past um, the slave trading in the Western world. I mean, at its peak, the Arab yes. world, the, the Islamic world was massive. I mean, it stretched exactly. all the way from yes. Spain and, yes. and um, right. like the West to parts Iran, of Africa to yes. Iran and, yes. and yeah, it was everywhere. Yes. So at least in the old world. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so like that's all to be said, like there are amazing things that have come out. So I wanted to emphasize that. Um, now, for Jews, they were swept up in this, um, and they were swept up, though, in ways that were, how do you say this, like, uh, all the good was not distributed equally. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to like this episode. And to hear more of my conversation with Josh, or to listen to other fun and interesting conversations, subscribe for more content, and follow me and Everything Trey on social media to see when I release new episodes.